This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Good afternoon, Cherries fans, and welcome to this latest show here on Up the Cherries in All Departments. Now, this is a very, very special preview show. Um, but before we get into that, of course, we are playing Liverpool on Sunday in the Premier League, a side managed by Jurgen Klopp, a side who have got a number of players out injured and also at the African Cup of Nations. Is this the best time to play Liverpool? Well, let's find out. So, as I say... I've got a very special guest. And that special guest was member of the band The Farm. They released a number of hit singles, are still doing festivals around the UK, and do have a new song coming out very, very soon. It is a pleasure to welcome on to Up the Cherries in all departments The Farm frontman Peter Hooten. Welcome to the show, Peter. How are you doing? I'm okay, thanks. Yeah, uh, got the January blues. Well, yes. uh, that's due to lack of football, probably. You know, I know it's it's been crazy. We've had not had a game for a couple of weeks now since yeah. we beat QPR in the FA Cup, and um, it's it's just strange, isn't it? Because normally January, you know, in other seasons, has been quite a busy period, but. Um, yeah. Because of the African Cup of Nations, which I'm sure we'll come on to, it's been a little bit quieter. But thank you so much for joining us on this show, Peter. And it'll be great to speak to you about The Farm, one of my favourite bands back in the day. Um, so let's start off from the very beginning. Um, and Firstly, a Liverpool question. Yeah. But what were your earliest memories of supporting the club? Uh, probably going to my uh, granddad's who used to live more or less opposite the ground, you know. Uh, and my dad uh, was brought up there. So when we were visiting there, you know, I just remember crowds and, and you know, uh, I, met, I always distinctly remember. And it was only a few hundred yards from the ground, but it wasn't restricted parking then. So my nan had put out, um, like, a set of ladders, where my dad's parking space was for the match, you yeah. know. 
And I remember that. And if anyone uh, tried to park there, you know, there was uh, all hell let loose, you know. <laughs> but, you know, obviously all that area now is all restricted parking, you know. Yes. Uh, parking permits. But So that would be going back to the 60s, really, when I was growing up. And I always remember um, going down from me, me nan's house to the main road to meet me dad coming back from the match, you know. And thousands of people passing me, you know, and I, I must have only been about four or five. You'd never, never let four or five year old out nowadays, would you? No, it's <laughs> like that. But, but you know, that seems to have happened in, in those days, you know. But um, so they were my earliest memories. Yeah, excellent stuff. We'll come back on to Liverpool versus Bournemouth in a little while. But what I want to do is cover off, like I say, The Farm, one of my favourite bands back in the day. And The Farm actually formed in 1983, if I'm correct. And he was only 20 years old. Out of interest, how did the band form? And how did you know each other beforehand? Uh, I'd been on a night out. And uh, my mate's mum had a pub. And I stayed in the house and uh, basically the next day when it was Sunday, remember when you used to have licensing hours which shut from two to five on a Sunday? Yes, yeah. Well, his, um, his brother was rehearsing with a band. And I said, who's that playing there in the background? You know, we were in another part of the bar. And he said, oh, that's our Ollie. He's, he's got a band together, you know. Uh, so I went in to listen to him and said, well, where's your singer? He said, oh, we haven't got one. I said, well, I'll have a go. And that's how it's, it was literally like that. There was no ambition to be in a band as such. You know, I'd been in a band at school. Yeah. They were all jokey bands. They were all like bands taking the piss off the teachers, really, you know, and uh, <laughs> that type of thing, like Half Man, Half Biscuit type songs, you know, all ridiculing something, you know. Um, so then I said, I'll have a go, you know. So I, I got up and sang a couple of songs and a couple of the... Um, the long-haired chaps in the room weren't too keen, but a few of the others, because I did the end magazine by then, you see. Yeah. So um, they thought it was a bit of a scally magazine or whatever. I had short hair. So uh, a couple of people thought, oh, no, no, he's, uh, he's got emotion in his voice. That's what they said, emotion. And uh, so they that's how we started the band, you know. And we got the name from rehearsing on a farm in a place called Lydiate, just outside Liverpool. Oh, yeah. It's where Will Sargent's from as well, I believe. From that area, anyway. Um, Will Sargent from Mech on the Bunny Man. He lives in Mellon, Lydiate area. So it's all very, you know, very picturesque. You know, it's the countryside, basically. But it's only seven miles outside Liverpool city centre, you know. Yeah. Excellent, good stuff. Um, I didn't actually realise that you actually the, the name the farm was actually devised because you auditioned on a farm. Yeah, basically yeah. that's what it was. And uh, Steve, who's the guitarist in the band, mm -hmm. has been in the band ever since then. You know, it, the farm was like a, a bit of a like, I wouldn't say it was a hippie commune, but it was a, it was certainly had, uh, certainly had you know a free spirit. So people could go there and rehearse mm -hmm. in the barns and they, and they wouldn't charge you. And uh, Steve was going out with the uh, one of the girls from the farm. Uh, mm -hmm. And so we were getting all, you know, we were saying, do you want some money for the electricity? Oh, no, leave it, leave it, it's okay. 
you know, just remember us when he, if he'll ever become famous, you know. But then, still in that uh, farm, it's called Caddick's Farm. They still have like parties all through the summer, you know. I mean, the uh, the, the parents who live there have passed away, you know, but mm-hmm. the extended family still run it, and they still have, it's an open house. You know, it's a bit like, um, you know, it's it's a bit like anything. You know, it's it's one of those everyone's welcome. You know, as long as you've got the right attitude, you know. Excellent. Well, of course, Liverpool has got a rich music history. Um, were there any gigs that you remember particularly well from the early days and any memorable stories at all, Peter? Oh, there's loads of memorable stories, you know, but uh, I mean, in the early days, it was like we kept on, you know, we had a lot of problems at our early gigs because the type of people who used to come to see us with the types who go to Liverpool and Everton away matches, you know. Yeah. And we got this reputation and wherever we went, there was always seemed to be a bit of trouble. But I was, you know, I was obviously uh, aware of what had happened to the Cockney Rejects, mm-hmm. what had happened to Madness when they were uh, attracted trouble. And Sham 69 was the big one, I suppose. Yeah. So we never, want, we never wanted to be too attached to football, if you know what I mean, uh, and start talking about football all the time, you know. But... um because if you remember in those days, I don't know uh, how old you were, but the 80s, like football fans were, after the minors, were probably public enemy number one, you know. Yeah, exactly. Actually, they declared war on football fans. She tried to introduce that uh, membership scheme, didn't she? And, you know, she was getting advice off that nutter from Luton who wanted yeah. to electrify fences and all, all sorts of things, you know. But um, so, yeah. Uh, we had a lot of concerts. I mean, I remember playing in York once, and uh, the police raided the uh, raided the venue, and it was like a it's like a uh, working man's club, you know. Mm-hmm. We raided it, and we couldn't. They, they banned us from playing, and he said we've reason to believe lots of the lead service crew are in attendance tonight in York, so you're not playing, you know. And uh, it was all over exaggerated nonsense, you know, but. Um, Lots of uh, lots of stories like that, and in the end, we went just out. We went into York, uh, had a few drinks with the people who were supposed to be come to see us, you know. And uh, one of the heads head of the York police asked who, who had our minibus keys. So someone had to say, "I've got them." <laughs> and he got the keys, and he drove uh, the band's bus outside of York and told us where he put the van, you know. Uh, but that was the type of thing that was happening to us, you know. We were getting Leeds University booked and then we found out they had uh, that Leeds fans might be turning up, you know. So it was a real, it was a lot of discrimination against football fans in those days, you know. Um, yeah, I'm not saying some of it was unwarranted, but you know, it was totally over the top, you know. It was totally over the top, you know. It was like, um, you know, I don't know, Leeds University. They said they had a, a committee meeting, the students' union. And we're led to believe, you know, that uh, Leeds fans would be turning up to cause trouble. But there's, there's never really trouble at the concerts as such. Yeah. trouble, you know, and like we didn't want, as I say, we didn't want to get to the stage where it was like the Sham 69 or the Cockney Rejects. So we're always very careful not to be saying about football and, you know, we, we, it was more about politics for us, you know. 
Yeah, most definitely. And um, of course, you, you played a number of gigs in Liverpool as well. Um, and we'll, we'll come on to, you know, how the farm and of course, all together now does get associated with football all the time. Of course, the yeah. video is of the Christmas Day match back in World War One, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the story behind it. And it wasn't really until 1990 mm -hmm. that a lot because football hooliganism was on the decline yeah people started looking go who originated this look in a band you know and there was only one band really and that was the farm and um there were other bands like the house martins paul yeah. he you'd say he was he looked like he'd come from the terraces and that but the rest of the band didn't you know uh, so it was only really the farm who had that image and when obviously a lot of groups from manchester started getting popular and they were looking for the origins of it, you know. And, of course, the origins of it was uh, of that look, cuckoos and, you know, jeans and the, the type of look that people would say you look as if you've, you're hanging out in the street corner or whatever, you know. But uh, it wasn't it wasn't contrived. You know, we just – that's the way we were, you know. We were interested in, in football fashion and that type of thing and uh, – and so that so when 1990 came along and it became the summer of love and people were all shopping in London and Duffer of St George and getting football t-shirts for the Talia 90 and it all came to fruition that you know we started getting low to press then because people were trying to find out you know the origins really you know well I'll go back a little bit in history as well because um just at the start of the band, um, you did release a number of singles, a number of independent singles. Um, how were they received at the time? Yeah, they were well received. I mean, every time they were reviewed, they got great reviews and that, but we didn't understand the music industry. That's, we thought it was a meritocracy. Mm -hmm. And we didn't understand that you had to have a press officer. You know, we just thought you could do it all yourself. And if John Peel liked it and Janice Long liked it and Peter... Powell liked it. You'd get on the radio and you get uh, you get column inches in the music press. It wasn't until 1990 uh, when we hired a press officer and a plugger for the radio that we realised we were hitting, hitting a glass ceiling all the time. It wasn't a meritocracy. You had to have pluggers going into the radio saying, "Is a new single by the farm," you know, and 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 press officers going to the the enemy and the sounds and the melody making and the face and ID magazine saying, I've got, you know, is the farm's new single? What do you think of it? And, you know, we just thought you could all do it from your bedroom. Yeah. <laughs> or, you know, it was really a big eye opener. I mean, we had four pages in the face in um, April 1990. And I don't think they'd heard the track. Stepping Stone was just about to come out. So they might have heard there was a bit of a buzz on Stepping Stone. But we had four pages talking about, um, you know, sort of like indie fashion or football fashion or whatever, you know. So it was a real, you know, it, it was a real eye-opener to us, you know, that uh, this is how you get into the into the uh, press, you know. Uh, and you need a plugger. And we, we, we chose people who were on the up. We were up and coming, like Gary Blackburn, who ended up being a plugger for lots of, you know, famous bands, but he was just starting out then, you know, and we, 
we liked his attitude and he, he started plugging us and we started getting on on the radio a lot more, you know, and then started getting playlisted. It's all about playlists. If you get on the playlists, you know, you're guaranteed a number of plays each each uh, week. And so people will hear the stuff, you know. But the you know, the idea of meritocracy soon went out the window, you know, it was based upon, you know, uh, we never had a record deal before. We've been on the uh, you know, been on the verge of having record deals in the past. Suggs had helped us out in '84. House Martins, we went on tour with them in '87, and they were going to start a label called the Fair Play Committee, yeah. based on uh, based on getting black. That Fair Play Committee were an organisation in America trying to get black music onto radio stations. Mm-hmm. So their first uh, signing was going to be the Farm, but then the House Martins split up. Things used to always happen. You know, Madness split up soon after we recorded with uh, with Suggs in the Caledonian Road in London in the oh, yeah. Jazz as studio, you know. So all those things you start there. But the number of people who helped us were I mean, Brian Travis and UB Forty he was trying to get us a deal as well, you know. Because we didn't have management as such. We we had this idea that we were uh, you know, we were following in the footsteps of the clash, you know, we had yeah, you know, we'd make the decisions and we'd go to you know, and everyone would share everything, you know, and not realizing that you do need management and you know, you do need a consensus, you know. You did start your own record label, didn't you, for the album Spartacus? If I'm yeah. right in thinking, yeah, and How that did was, that yeah, that was due to the fact that, um, in 1990. When we started, we did a version of Stepping Stone, which was massive in the clubs, all the trendy clubs throughout the UK, but mainly it started in London, you know. And Terry Farley uh, remixed it and he gave us this drum loop. Mm-hmm. And he said, oh, this is a massive drum loop. This is about February 1990. It's a massive weight label and it's going down great in the clubs in London. Use this and put Stepping Stone over it. Yeah, and uh, he said it'll never be a hit because it's a white label and no one ever. But the snap used it for the power, the same loop, you know. And that was like, um, so by the time we released Stepping Stone, power by the, by snap was number one. But it, it's it was just just a drum loop, really, you know. And they'd got it from somewhere in the seventies. Mm-hmm. Uh, from a from a some track in the seventies, you know, but it was an exciting period, and we we decided a uh, lots of companies then wanted to sign us, but we didn't trust the majors by then because they'd never given us a chance before. So we thought, let's do it ourselves. We had a financial backer who was willing to put money in for press officers, press agents, uh, pluggers, and recording. So we thought, let's do it ourselves, you know. And that's how we did it. And it was a completely punk rock thing to do. It was completely DIY, you know. And, of course, the first single from that album um, that hit the top ten was Groovy Train. What was the inspiration behind that? And um, were you happy with the chart position? Um, The inspiration for the song, I was in a a club called The State in Liverpool, which was a (laughs) brilliant club, wasn't it? Probably one of the best clubs I've ever been in, or if not the best, you know. Yeah. And it'd been going from 1980. This was 1989. And this girl, I used to be a youth worker uh, in Liverpool. And this girl who'd been heavily involved in politics when she was young, you know, 16, 17, 
I just said to her, are you still involved in, uh, you know, political activity, you know, meaning demonstrations and all that stuff? And I said, yeah. And she said, fuck off, Peter. I'm on the groovy train. <laughs> <laughs> Get on the groovy train. So I just thought, what a brilliant line that is, you know, and that's how I, I used it uh, about, you know, but it was this girl who uh, rejected politics for uh, having a great time. <laughs> <laughs> Who can blame her as well? <laughs> you still still in contact? <laughs> no, since that night probably, but uh, she probably doesn't even know the song was written after she said that to me. But um, you know, it was one of those periods where people were rejecting all what they'd learned, you know, in terms of music, politics, yeah. everything. It was the summer of love, wasn't it? And people were like, yeah. you know, this is music is the great liberator. You know, it's you know. Or different, you know, it broke down. It stopped, you know, more or less stopped football hooliganism, but mm -hmm. it broke down all sorts of barriers between the big cities and also between different races. Yeah, you know, people were meeting at raves. I remember people from Liverpool saying to me, Oh, yo, they're all right, they're manks, aren't they? Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I've always thought that. What, you, what makes you change? Oh, I met them in the Blackburn rave, you know, and there was all <laughs> these big raves in Blackburn. Uh, which is not far from both cities, you know, and mm -hmm. all of a sudden everyone was deciding that the, uh, they're all right then, man. You know, it was like you couldn't make it up, you know. I mean, obviously Bournemouth had yeah. a big Liverpool contingent, didn't it? Yes. Uh, they moved there in the 80s because of economic circumstances. And I'd been to Bournemouth a few times in the 80s, you know, and I think a few uh, Tory politicians were upset about the uh, the migration, but they're always <laughs> upset by migration, <laughs> not realizing the history of their own country, you know. But um, I remember I went to the I went to Bournemouth the on the eve of the Milk Cup final in 1984 with uh, yeah. when we played Everton, mm -hmm. and there's you know obviously some people from Bournemouth probably you know you know thought oh no Scousers here or whatever, but other people from Bournemouth probably got on great with them, you know. I mean, and it's certainly when that 1990 came, 89, 90. It was probably some of the scouts running the parties, wasn't it? You know, and uh, I know people from back then who, who knew DJs from Liverpool who were like made up with the uh, the migration. <laughs> I mean, I know one lad, a drummer called Joey Muska, he moved down there and does some brilliant community work. Yeah, and he's raised a family in Bournemouth, you know, and I mean because obviously people, you know, certain people can get a bad reputation that, but you know. Believe me, most of the people I know are great people, you know, from Liverpool, of course they are, you know. Yeah, most definitely. And I've got loads of friends in Liverpool, yeah. both Liverpool and Everton fans. And we'll come yeah. on to Everton and, of course, uh, all together now in a bit. But you don't have to, surely. <laughs> well, there is one question that I don't think anybody's ever asked you, but I'll tell you what, let me cover off this question about Altogether Now, because it was a massive hit. It was a massive hit. Like we said earlier on, the video was of that football game during Christmas Day in World War One. It's well, there have been videos of you know which have had folks but the original video was a load of old people in the pub. I don't know if you remember that. Yes, yeah. There have been videos of like uh, sketches of people in no man's land and also real photographs of people in no man's land because the fraternization was, you know, uh, quite unique and quite one of the great things about 
you know, I mean, a futile war, the First World War, no historian can really put the finger on why it started. Mm -hmm. And there's a great book by um, called Sleepwalkers about how Europe just sleptwalked into a major conflict and no one had the, you know, the gumption or the, you know, the, the will to stop it. It just happens, you know, and no one can really, you know, uh, put the finger on why it happened, you know. So, but, but this, the, the, the truce in no man's land, which is well documented, there's been yeah. loads of brilliant podcasts about it recently from uh, primary sources. So letters from Germans and, and British troops and French as well, mm -hmm. but French didn't tend to get into it as much as, as the British and the Germans. But um, it's an amazing, you know, uh, amazing event, you know, and I wanted to promote it. I wanted to promote that as, as something unique and I wanted to be a cheerleader for it, you know. And of course it was a massive hit as well the song um were you surprised at how big a hit it was uh yeah in a way yeah. i mean we we recorded it in october 1990 and um chas smash who was um who was in madness yeah well, i think he split up by then but he was an a and r person for go discs you know mm -hmm. and he came in because he sucks was producing it as well and he said can i uh can i bring andy mcdonald from go disc come in to hear this you know and um, in the end, we said, yeah, because we, we weren't letting anyone hear it, you know. And he came in and listened to it and said, that's a Christmas number one. He said, but if you stay with your own independent label, it won't be because you cannot compete with the majors. And we were distributed by Pinnacle Distribution. Yeah. So a lot of indie bands say they were indie, but they were distributed by a major. We were actually a purely indie band. you know. So we were distributed by Pinnacle, who were... Who were couldn't keep up with the demand, basically. They couldn't keep up with it. Uh, but anyway, he offered us this, you know, you know, enormous deal, an enormous advance. But at the time, we thought, well, Spartacus could get to number one anyway. Mm -hmm. So whether altogether now is number one, we weren't that really bothered, you know. Uh, so we just said, no, see you later, you know, next. <laughs> <laughs> Which I think was a bit of revenge for record companies not, picking up on us in the first place, you know. But it did go to number one. Uh, it was a massive, massive hit for the band. Well, Spartacus, Spartacus went to number one, but altogether now got to number four. Believe number it or four. Not. Yeah, it was kept off the top by Robson and Jerome, I think, and Madonna. Uh, but I think, you talk to anyone in record shops, we were selling absolutely loads more than those, but they had deals with the majors, so... You know, they have deals like buy three and you get one free, you know. So there was all sorts of packages that independents couldn't do. They couldn't afford to do it. So that's what Andy, that's what the head of Goldis meant when he said that, you know. Uh, but anyway, it wasn't, you know. Well, this is the question really that, you know, it's been playing on my mind, you know, for years. Yeah. The whole of the farm... Are Liverpool fans? No, that's not true. Is it not true? No. Ah, okay. Because... The, 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 it's three to one. Three to one. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the guitarist Keith is an Everton fan. Is he? Ah, fair enough. And but he, he sang on the record. On the Everton record. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the farm had nothing to do with it. 
even though it was put down as Everton FC, you know, it was session musicians did it in London and Keith sang on it, you know. Uh, but I had to give the okay for them to change the lyrics and it's a bit of a mute point, but I mean, I, you know, <laughs> I, what, for two, three weeks, I said, no, 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 not because it was Everton. I just didn't want them to change the lyrics, you know, that's what it was, you know. And uh, in the end, Keith had a young lad at the time and he was ringing me up going, they're going to meet the team if we do it. You know, I did the last day of the cop for you and Ian Rush's testimonial. It's payback time, you know. And he just wore me out with emotional blackmail. So I thought, I'll ask my dad. My dad's been a season ticket holder at Anfield since 1962. Yeah. So I said to him, what do you think? He went, well, if you don't let them have it, it looks like you're uh, doing it because it's Everton. And he said, and that's like not enemies meeting in no man's land, is it? So you're a bit of a hypocrite if you don't let them use it. Oh, no. <laughs> I was going to say, I, you know, I'm oh, sure well, I went to the world. Think, I still think when I hear it, I cringe when I hear it. You know. No, fair enough. And it has become, it was then this song for the 1995 FA Cup final against yeah. Manchester United, wasn't it? And it's um, no one. When uh, England used it in 2004 for the Euros, mm -hmm. we went into a meeting with them and they said, we want to get away from the the, uh, the image of racist England fans and, you know, yeah. so we want to be all inclusive. So we want to use it all together now. So everything they were saying sounded great. And they said, no, oh, and by the way, we wanted to use this as the theme for 1996 uh, Euros in England. Yeah. He said, because Everton used it. I mean, oh my God, no! <laughs> you know, I mean, it was just like you know, it was a, it was a dagger to the heart. But <laughs> there wouldn't have been any three lions. You know, <laughs> it would have been altogether now, and the whole of Europe would have been, you know, would have been, you know, it would have been great for the song, obviously, and what the song means, United Nations and all nations yeah. coming together, uh, and you know, anyway. Let's move on. <laughs> no, fair enough. We'll leave Everton there. <laughs> so, um, of course, Spartacus was recorded over a long period of time, wasn't it, the album? Um, was it a difficult album to record? Um, yeah, not really, because, I mean, we had, you know, we had, like, Groovy Chain all together now. They were the big hits from it. But, you know, yeah. we had, we revamped some of the uh, back catalogue, you know. Um, and yeah, it wasn't. We did it in the autumn of 1990 <laughs> in London uh, with Suggs and Terry Farley, and we had a we had a fantastic time, you know. And we were doing it in a place called Primrose Hill, which is now, you know, uh, really, uh, you know, uh, really a, a go-to place for people, you know. But at the time, it was fairly run down, believe it or not. There wasn't many cafes there. There wasn't many, there's a couple of pubs, and so we were always heading into the West End. You know, the only the only thing, you know, is that um, you know we we loved that period. We loved it, but yeah. so hectic because we were doing interviews, tours, radio stations. You know, it was it was just very hard to comprehend. You know, it was like it was like a tidal wave. You know of uh, you know, it was like an avalanche, and we couldn't. You know, we no one could have stopped it. You know, and it was all based on 
people buying and demand basically for it, you know, and get the next single out, get this next. Mm-hmm. And our manager said, Stepping Stone wasn't on Spartacus. Yeah. After, after uh, release Ste- uh, Spartacus, which went to number one, he mm-hmm. said, re-release Stepping Stone, because it had only ever been out on 12-inch vinyl. Yeah. And uh, by this time, the, the group thought they had, you know, opinions and uh they went no no we're, we're letting the fans down if we do that yeah. all the fans who bought the 12 inch final they'll be upset you know he's <laughs> like we should have released stepping stone in all formats and it would have been a massive hit i think you know at the, at the time when we released it april 1990 it had a midweek in the top 40 but we couldn't keep up with the demand Mm-hmm. Suggs was going around London in a car with full of, his boot full of records. <laughs> these, these independent record shops and dance record shops keep mm-hmm. them um, supplied. You know, it was incredible. Yeah, definitely. And I believe for the subsequent albums, you did sign to a record label, didn't you? Um, yeah, that was, that was a Sony had seen Sony International had seen what we'd done on our mm-hmm. own. Yeah, they said to us, you know, we can sell three times as many as an indie, you know, and then they offered us, you know, staggering amounts of money. And at the time, communications had broken down between uh, our manager mm-hmm. and the record company, who was basically uh, lads that had helped us out in the past, you know. Yeah. Uh, so we just thought our manager convinced us at the time this is the right time to move, you know. To go to an, you know the next stage, you know, but really, uh, it was a, it was the wrong decision, you know. I think it was on, on in hindsight, because Sony didn't. We were the blueprint, mm-hmm. Creation Records. This is hardly ever mentioned, but um, the person who signed us for Sony International, uh, we were the blueprint for other deals he did with Creation and other on other record labels. Uh, but then we had, we had to, our press officer had to be the Sony press officer. Our pluggers had to, it was all wrong, you know. And we lost a few friends over it, you know. And I think on reflection, we shouldn't have really done it, maybe, you know. But at the time, you just want to. We were employing like the whole group and maybe roadies and various people. It must have been twenty people on the payroll. Yeah. Exactly what Suggs had told us not to do. <laughs> we did it, you know. He said, don't get all your mates on the payroll. But we did. <laughs> and, um, it was just we were hemorrhaging money. Mm-hmm. But we needed big advances to pay for it all, you know. So I think on reflection, it was the wrong move, you know. Do you feel that Sony did kind of push you in a different direction to what you wanted to do as a band? They wanted, don't you want me out as a single? And we were saying, no, you can't release that. Yeah, but he said, this is the only single on the album, you know. We'd done an album which we thought was a bit of a concept album, you know. We were uh, Steve, the who wrote most of the music on it, was uh, you know, we locked himself away in a bedroom and he a lot of Love See on Colour sounds fantastic, mm-hmm. but it, they're not songs as such. They're like they're like it's like film music, it's like background music for films, you know, fantastic mm-hmm. stuff, but wearing pop songs as such, you know. And Steve will admit that and it then on Hula Blue, which is the next album that was yeah. only ever released in the States, and that's gone back to right basic song, you know, right, uh, you know, uh, pop songs, you know, uh, a pop format, really, you know. Mm-hmm. 
which is what we're doing now again. We've gone back to our roots, you know. Well, I was going to come on to that because after Hullabaloo, you have done a lot and a lot of gigs. You've been around the gig circuit for a, the duration of the time since that album. Yeah, mainly been? festivals, but mainly, yeah. mainly since you know the mainly in the last say uh, you know ten years, mainly uh, festival. You know that we've gone on the festival circuit. You know, yeah, happy the happy Monday. What happened was uh, the, the happy Mondays were always trying to get. On tours with them, you know. Yeah. In 2005, they offered us a show, and in the past, Steve had always been reluctant to reform, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, but he, he, in, in 2004, he had bowel, um, he had bowel cancer, mm -hmm. and he said he was in the hospital bed, you know, with all tubes coming from, and you know, after his operation, thinking, why didn't we play more? Playing was great, you know, it was fantastic. And I think he thought he, you know, that was 20 years ago. I think he thought that was game was up for him, you know. Uh, so when he came back and he got to better health, he said, "Let's re you know, let's do these concerts that we get keep keep on getting asked to do, you know." Yeah, and you've got a, a concert, well, a tour going out at this year, haven't you? Well, it's, not, it's the festivals really. It's, it's not a tour as such, you know. Yeah, I mean, a tour would kill us, you know. I mean, if we went on tour, we just, you know, we, I don't, I don't, I don't think we could do two or three gigs together. You know, we just, you know, it's a young man's game that, you know, really, you know. But um, I think the idea of doing seven nights on a run with one night off that would horrify everyone, you know. So we do festivals, and we do, you know, some weekends we'll do two festivals together. So that's about two or three, maybe. That's about, you know. You know what we like to do. You know, really, everyone's got their own careers. You see, Roy Bolt is a filmmaker, film producer. Carl's a film director. Steve does dance tracks under an assumed name. You know, and Keith works at Lipper, Paul McCartney's uh, mm -hmm. place in Liverpool. You know, so we all do different things, and it'd be hard to get us on tour. I think you know. But you have got a new song coming out, which is "Let the Music Take Control." Yeah, um, very, very shortly. Um, what's that been like to bring everybody back together to record that track? And, um, you know, when is that being released? It's uh, it's released on the 1st of February. Mm -hmm. And it's on, um, you can get it on pre-save now on all the streaming sites. And it'll only be st streaming sites that we're using at the moment. Um, and we had to put it back uh, because of the success of Feel the Love. Which yeah. got playlisted at Radio Two, uh, and you know, we feel the love is. It's about for me. It's about um, feel the love was about uh, Ibiza, nineteen ninety, when we met yeah. a DJ called Harvey. This is about when we went to see Nile Rogers play. Keith had a chance meeting with Nile Rogers in Lipper, in uh, he came to give a masterclass and. He had a bit of a talk, and uh, now nah, Rogers played a few chords and all that. Anyway, next rehearsal, Keith's playing like now nah, Rogers, you know, like, and it ended up let's let the music take control. And during the uh, lockdown and everything, you always have politicians with three word slogans: take back control and all. Yeah. I thought, no, nah, no, nah, you know, forget about that. Let the music take control, you know. And yeah. that's what the song's all about, really. You know, about uh, let the music. You know, I mean, because music is 
you know, music can unite people. You know, it can it can put you in a better mood and give you a lifeline for loads of different things. So I just thought, forget the politicians. Now Rogers in a stadium going, let the music take control. That should be the slogan. Excellent stuff. Excellent stuff. Um, of course, you met many bands. You've mentioned there the Happy Mondays as well. Was there any particular bands that you were really fond of during your career or and some that, you know, maybe you didn't particularly like? Um, I mean, it's, I'd say that for me, it was I, I, I was brought up on the Clash and the Jam and the Specials or loved groups like that, you know. Uh, and I was lucky to meet them all, you know, and um, uh, and like um, when we were touring in, in America in 91, we were the big audio dynamite with Mick Jones. Yeah. And John Summer was on tour with the Pogues at the time. Mm-hmm. So we met him in a hotel room and he was going there to clash a reform. And, and when we reform and we play America on the tour, the farm of the support, someone could have should have just thrown me off the building then. You know, but, uh, <laughs> It was unbelievable stuff because, you know, uh, for Strummer to say that, and like Paul Weller's been listening to the new stuff and he absolutely loves it. And he's, you know, uh, you know, I think it's it's great when people you looked up to and your peers, you know, give you good feedback, you know. I've never really, uh, never really had a massive dislike for any bands as such, you know. I mean, I think a lot of bands because we were doing it as an indie band. Mm-hmm. I remember being in America and a lot of bands, when we went to, uh, we were signed to Sire by Seymour Stein in America, which is a subsidiary of Warner Brothers. Yeah. A lot of bands were saying, oh, they don't like the fans, do they? This is the group. Do-. I said, never met them, never met them. But what it was, is because Warner Brothers were putting a lot of resources into us and they thought it should have been them, you know. So, but I mean, we don't all grudges. We're not those type of people, you know. But um, I think, you know, it's 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 stupid in the music industry to hold grudges. You know, this isn't snooker. No, fair <laughs> enough. <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> we'll come on to the game in a moment. Yeah. But one question I did want to ask you, if you don't mind answering it, um, is one of the darkest days for Liverpool and the whole of football. Yeah. was in 1989, where 97 Liverpool fans passed away at Hillsborough. Yeah. You've been forefront of the campaign for proper justice for all the victims. Yeah. If you don't mind me asking, what were your memories, firstly, of that day? Do you feel that we're finally seeing justice and how much more needs to be done for the families? It's a, it's a massive, massive question and it's really... It took me 10 years to talk about Hillsborough because, I, mm-hmm. because of what I witnessed on the day. Yeah. It just triggered, you know, emotion. I couldn't, you know, deal with it. And I wrote something for The Guardian. Uh, and that was sort of like, sort of like, was, you know. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. 
Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. Picture the scene. All of your mates around, you've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Partner this with your team playing champagne football. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. There's nothing quite like a McDelivery. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Yeah, me getting it all out, you know, really. Yeah. But uh, it changed football. The reason the Premier League is is today is because of Hillsborough. Now, you've got to remember that, you know, football fans, as I was saying before, were treated like cattle uh, in those days. You know, they had fences up. Everything was about prevention. It wasn't about uh, anything else. It was about prevention. Prevent them doing this, prevent them doing that. Uh, that day was particularly chaotic. Now, obviously, I've been to lots of football matches and I've seen large crowds outside football grounds. But for some reason, there seemed to be a lack of organisation that day. I mean, we'd had the same fixture the year before. Mm-hmm. Uh, not Forest versus Liverpool. We had the small end, the Leppins Lane. Forest had the cop, the big end, you know. Yeah. And, we, and it happened again. And people go, oh, no, we've got the small end again, you know. And people realise Liverpool's got much bigger support than, than Forest, but we couldn't comprehend it. But it was down to police recommendations because of motorway traffic. But, you know, we all come across the Snake Pass in cars, yeah. me and my friends. And the first end you come to is the cop. It's by, you know, so anyway, we got to the ground and it was, I didn't want to go into the melee because I thought, I just don't like, I'm not comfortable in it, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but it got to about uh, 10 to 3 maybe. So I thought I'd better try and get in, you know, and it was chaos. There was no queuing system. And you've seen that footage of the crowds outside. And how and why it broke down uh, is another another theory. Um, somebody had been um, taken off the job. Uh, inspect uh, Chief Superintendent Mole. Yeah, been disciplined a few weeks before, and he he'd been in charge of the game the year before. He was experienced. Duncan Field had been promoted over other people's uh, heads, mm-hmm. and he was top. He was he was the bit and fast tracked by the top brass. To be, you know, um, to be the main man in in, in South Yorkshire, you know. Uh, so there's all sorts of theories, you know, about what happened. But I mean, my general, from what I've evidence have gathered over the years, is that uh, people who didn't like Duckenfield, which was most mm-hmm. South Yorkshire police on the ground, just folded their arms and said, you know, he'll never do another match again. And he, you know, there's all sorts of reports about Duckenfield looking for a, what do I do now? What do I do now? And everyone was like sitting on their hands, you know, waiting for him, not not expecting people to die, of course. Mm. One thing is, everybody knew that was a terrible end. Every football fan was uncomfortable in that end because it was too packed usually, even at, even at the capacity that they said, which was uh, the green book, the green guide. Uh, the capacity, you know, was wrong anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was, you know, what the capacity they had, it should have been less, you know. And they had a slope in the tunnel to the terrace. And that was because of Ibrox, 
because they thought the only time people will die when they're going out. So they had the slope going onto the terracing. So when people were going out, it was. A, but obviously these all contributed to. Uh, so when he opened the gates, Duckenfield, nobody had shut the middle gate. So people just headed towards the tunnel, which was to a death trap, you know. And um, I was in the stands that day. Uh, and when I got in, we were pleading with the police, you know, you've got to open the gates, you know, someone's going to die outside, you know. Because they just, as far as we were concerned, they just, you know, they've just decided you'll never do another match again. You know, I know, I know that's, you'll never, ever prove that. But um, Channel 4 did a program, or sorry, a, a news report just after the inquest in 2016. Yeah. And it was Alex Thompson. And it, it's hard to find it, but you can get it. And he went to um, interview uh, Mole's second in command, who'd been taken off duties as well. And he more said, Brian Mole predicted what was going to happen and didn't want to be at the ground. And Alex Thompson said, Why did, what do you mean he predicted what? He said, well, you know, this fella's, you know, he's a prat. He doesn't listen to anyone that's duck and field. He doesn't know what's going on. And, you know, and a lot of the staff felt the same. That tells you everything, doesn't it? Well, you know, exactly. That tells you everything that the uh, Hamilton Road, it was, the local police station. They were all loyal to Brian Moe. They wanted him back. So they didn't want Duckenfield to have a success that day. They wanted him out, you know, and never do a match again. You'd never, ever prove that, you know, because but that's that's I, that's what I think in reality is what happened, you know. Otherwise, it couldn't have been that chaotic, you know, that someone opens a gate and lets 2,000 people go in and go into an already overpacked central pens when the side pens were empty, you know. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying that's deliberate, but mm. what I'm saying is Duckenfield didn't know you should shut the middle tunnel and fill the sides up. Uh, other police on the day did. Well, why didn't they tell him that, you know? So I think, for me, justice was the inquests because it proved in a, the longest inquest in British history um, that, you know, who was to blame? South Yorkshire police were to blame. Duckenfield was primarily to, to blame, but other police were to blame as well. But not one policeman has spent one night being a cell over this. Well, just imagine if it was the other way around and 97 policemen had died, you know. It'd still be in jail now, wouldn't he? People who caused it, you know. It's just, it's it's very, very, very upsetting talking about it. But what we've got, you know, it took the deaths of those people. And you see the Premier League now and how safe it is and all sorts yeah. of stadium. And I mean, I, I agree with safe standing. Mm -hmm. uh, it is safe standing, you know. Yeah. You know, but um, unfortunately, it was because of that tragedy, you know. Uh, and I can talk about it now. Uh, I still get upset sometimes when I see images. and But I don't think, you know, obviously, I think you'd have to talk to the families whether they think justice. I don't think many of them do. Uh, but as a supporter there on the day, my justice was get it in law that Liverpool yeah. fans were not to blame. You know, But as I say, it's there's been, you know, Duckenfield was retired on a full police pension, you know, and... He's probably still playing golf. It's, to be honest, I can't ever comprehend what it was like being there that day. Um, you know, seeing the pictures, 
on TV. Um, the lies that, of course, come out afterwards. Um, you know, I don't even want to mention, you know, the particular paper on the show. Um, this, but... this article I wrote was called Heroes. Mm -hmm. Because on that day, Liverpool fans were, they were unbelievable. Yeah. And, um, I, <clears throat> I was in the stands, so I wasn't one of them. I did go onto the pitch and I asked the line of police, you know, why, why can't you get first aid? And they said, we're waiting for instructions. They couldn't break ranks. They were there to stop a pitch invasion, you know, because that's what Duck and Field told people was happening, you know. Um, but people were given CPR, and there was, all, and they were the ingenuity getting the getting the advertising hordens, and, and in the end, the Forest fans and the cop after saying, you know, you scouts bastards, and singing, thinking it was a pitch invasion, they were all clapping. The whole end was clapping because Liverpool fans initiated the rescue operation. It was as simple as that. That's what's so upsetting about certain newspapers. Uh, depiction of it you know yeah definitely and it's one of those things that you know should never have happened hopefully will never ever happen again um but why it's happened i'm completely in agreement with you it was the police you know that managed it terribly yeah and if it well, wasn't just as taylor hmm? uh, just as taylor in august 1989 came to that conclusion Within a few months, but you know, then the narrative from newspapers and various, you know, politicians, you know, kept on the kept on the lies going, you know, and it was very difficult. But that's why I say the inquest was so important because a jury had nearly, you know, eighteen months of evidence and everything. They picked out every person in the crowd. Mm -hmm. What time they came into the ground, where they were when they. Uh, they were crushed to death and they picked out everyone, you know, and it wasn't, um, you know, all this stuff about uh, ticketless fans. And that. on the day, there wasn't that much demand for tickets because it was, a, it was, it was exactly the same match as the year before. Yeah. I know some of the touts and they were saying it's on the floor, like no one's, in, you know, they couldn't get the, so, so all this idea and they actually, they actually pinpointed everyone in that end. And the capacity of the Leppins Lane was 10,100. And every count that they did on the turnstiles and also on photographic evidence counting each head was less than capacity. The problem was they were all, most of them were in the middle pens. Yeah. And like I say, you know, I've been to Hillsborough. You know, of course, it's completely different because it's all seating now, but it's still that very, very narrow entrance. Yeah. You know, and personally, I still think to this day that the stadium needs changing. Yeah, yeah. To this day, um, because that that entrance is not safe. No. Um, but if you imagine, I, I can't, well, I can't imagine, to be honest, what happened that day and you know hopefully fingers crossed justice will be served properly for all those people that lost their lives you know i know so much has been done um but my opinion is so much more you know could be done to help those families because yeah, you can't bring these people back genuine football fans think 
you know, you've got to ignore the idiots on Twitter. <clears throat> Genuine football fans, you know, all across the country know how football fans are treated in them days, you know. And so people are even pleading, let me out the pen. You know, mm. getting pushed back, you know. It's like horrendous, you know. Horrendous. But anyway. Well, what we'll do is we'll move on to yeah. this weekend's game. And, of course, um, Liverpool are sitting pretty at the top of the Premier League at the moment um, yeah. and doing very, very well. Um, I think it's there is some... Surprise. After well, last season, it's a big surprise to everyone. Well, right? you know what? I actually predicted at the start of this season that I think Liverpool was going to be very close to the title. Mm. But, um, you know, did I expect Liverpool to be in the lead at this time? I probably expected Manchester City probably to run yeah. away with it, as you can expect. But Jurgen Klopp has completely turned it around. Yeah. And, you know, is an absolutely fantastic manager. But this is a month that I've kind of pinpointed that Liverpool might struggle in because of the African Cup of Nations. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. How much of a loss do you think the players going to AFCON is? Yeah, it's 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 a massive loss. You know, when you lose your best player, like your most you know potent uh, striker, striker, you know, it's a big loss. You know, but I'm hoping other players who are underperformed, like Nunes, will mm -hmm. you know, will you know come to the fore now. You know, and and Diaz has played last couple of games. He's done a lot better. But I'm looking to Nunes as like. Someone who's great at creating stuff, but not putting the ball in the back of the net at the moment, because obviously as strikers, it's all about um, confidence, isn't it? And you know, you see what Slanky's doing for you, for you, yeah. and what he, he couldn't he couldn't score to save his life hardly at Anfield, you know. But so it's 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 situations and times and places, isn't it? You know. So I'm hoping that Nunes is great on assists and he's great at creating stuff, but he's just going to find the back of the net when he when he's not thinking about it he will do when he's got time to think that's when he starts panicking a bit you know so yeah but losing Salah is a massive loss you know because he was he was pretty handy against Bournemouth wasn't he yes yes he was <laughs> um and uh, no doubt we could we'll come to last season's game at Anfield in a moment you know because I'm sure you'll quite enjoy talking about that one but uh, Darwin Nunes scored a fantastic goal, didn't he, um, in the Carabao Cup tie that we had. Yeah. Um, outstanding, wasn't it, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you see, that's the thing when he, he was cutting in and he didn't have time to think. Mm -hmm. And he just, well, he did, didn't he? And it was like, you know, like brilliant goal. And he's got yeah. that in his life. But when he's one-on-one -on -one with a goalkeeper, I think that's when he starts to panic. Or when it's an easy chance in the six-yard box, he, he just snatches at it, you know. But hopefully he can improve, you know. And uh, uh, but you know, I think he's he's a crowd favourite. But mm -hmm. that's for people who go the match. They can see what he does. You can't always see it on the television. You know, he's all he's forever getting caught offside because that's because he's doing so many runs to try and split defences. You know. Well, of course, Liverpool did make some decent signings actually um, yeah. in in. The summer, but you know, not many of them. Um, of course, Alexis McAllister come from Brighton, 
yes. he got sent off in the subsequent match at Anfield this season. Um, Sabozalali, Endo and Gravenberch. Yeah. What did you make of the business? When it happened, what did you make of the business um, at Anfield? Well, I, you know, getting Callister and Sabozalali, I was made up because they were yeah. you know, both young players with loads of potential, but and also proven, you know, mm-hmm. proven players. I mean, Sovaslai was twenty, and he was the he was the captain of Hungary. Yeah, so you, you, got, you, you know, if you're the captain of Hungary at that age, you've got to be, you know, you got you got to be brilliant, haven't you? Really, you know. And uh, but I loved McAllister in the World Cup, and I thought, you know, he's a brilliant sign. And, and you know, obviously there was a lot of you know Liverpool fans on Twitter is not reflective of like Liverpool fans yeah. who go the matches. So everyone's calling FSG for everything and. Why aren't we signing this? Why aren't we signing that? You know, people don't really talk like that at the match. You go to the match, you know, and people are quite happy. If Klopp's happy, we're happy. That's the that's 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 what people say. Now, obviously, we're at, we were in for Casado and everything. The uh, people on the internet were saying, "Ah, oh, that's a, that's a con. They never had the money. It's just because they knew he wanted to go to Chelsea." Uh, but you know, they put the offer in. And I think he'd be, you know, if he'd been playing for Liverpool, he wouldn't be having the nightmare he's having at Chelsea, really, because he, he Klopp wanted him. He, he would have moulded him into uh, the player he wanted. But Endo has done fantastic, you know. Yeah. I mean, once again, he's the captain of Japan, but people are judging him on, oh, he was only 15 million. You know, he wasn't 115. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy, isn't it? You know, but... You know, I think um, he's he's done very well, and we're, lo- we're losing him to the uh, the Asian Cup. You know, so that that's a big blow. But I think we've got a fairly healthy squad mm-hmm. uh, in terms. I mean, obviously, to lose both left backs is a big blow. But yeah. Gomez is doing a good job there, you know. And uh, uh, I mean, we're going to miss we're going to miss Trent. You know, we're going to miss Trent. He's out for a few weeks, you know, and he's he's been the playmaker, and he's he you know he opens up defenses. Well, hopefully McAllister can do you some damage on uh, on Sunday. Well, hopefully not. Hopefully not from our perspective. But I remember going on a Liverpool show, you know, and for the first game. And, of course, Endo was mentioned. And they were really unhappy with him. Yeah. You know, with the signing, I thought, you know, I think that's quite a sensible bit of business. Yeah. You know, it's somebody with experience. It's somebody who, you know, can come into the side. And, you know, it's somebody that Jurgen Klopp wants. Yeah. And he's hardly ever wrong, is he? Well, no, I mean, you know, he's be, he's doing great in the transfer market, you know. And, uh, you know, Endo, another one, he's captain of Japan. You can't be a, a bad player if you're captain of Japan, you know. It's just, you know, but people, as I say, people judge things on... Uh, we, no one else was in for him, you know. Everyone was in for Casado, you know. So we can't, you know, we're, we're going for second best. But I think people have been pleasantly surprised in the last few games. It took them a while to get up to the to the pace of the Premier League. Yeah. Um, so he was blooded in the Europa and the League Cup and that. But now, you know, if he was available, he'd be, he'd be starting most Premier League games. I think. With the squad as it is at the moment, Peter, do you feel that the side have got enough to actually, you know, without any additions, have got enough to actually 
either a push Manchester City because they're going to always come back into it. You know, they're very, very good side. They've spent millions and millions and millions and millions. Yeah. Um, that's why they've got 115 charges against them. But yeah. do, you, do you feel that the side have got enough to compete for the title this season as it stands? Uh, we're ahead of schedule, definitely. Yeah. I mean, this was supposed to be the building year, wasn't it? You know, yeah. I think, you know, obviously when you see De Bruyne coming on the other night and, and you know, City might draw that game if he doesn't come on, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to be very, very difficult. And it'll it'll mean some of the squad players have got to you know step up, you know, especially when uh, our star players are missing, you know, like the likes of Salah. So it all depends. Um, we've got a great defensive record, so hopefully that'll hold. And Van Dyke's back to like you know to what he was a few years ago, you know, before his injury. So with a defensive record like we've had in the first part of the season, we've got a chance. But we all know that City are this machine, aren't they? And I'd yeah. hate it to go to the last game again where, you know, they need a draw and we need a win. It's happened so many times and, you know, you know, it's going to be very difficult, very difficult. But no one's won uh, the league four times on the run, have they? You know? No. And so I'm, I'm just fingers crossed that we can challenge. And it's up to teams to have a go at City because they, they've... It's being proven they are vulnerable, more so this season anyway. Uh, but team like Newcastle, you know, they went ahead and then sat back instead of like you know, uh, you know, you, you you can't you can't like do that against City because they're just going to wear you down, and they're just going to get that killer pass, and they're just you know, I mean that that goal, no one saw that coming to the the winner at Newcastle. It's no. a bit of magic from obviously the the pass wasn't really on, was it? And then a brilliant. Uh, brilliant bit of skill um, at the end of it, you know, and I think it's going to be hard, you know, but I mean, I'm just glad that we're in the, you know, we're not mid-table, you know, I mean, and we we thought this year we'd, if we, if we won maybe a cup or something and qualify for the Champions League again, that's progress, you know, so we're ahead of schedule, so fingers crossed we can, we can do it, but, you know, I think uh, the Sunday's game will be an acid test with so many players missing. You know, to be honest, I'm optimistic for Liverpool because I'm just, you know, having a look at you know the teams that you've beaten this season and the teams that you failed to beat. Yeah, you know, apart from Brighton, and really they are a very very good side, Brighton yeah. um, and Luton. Everybody else that you haven't got three points against are in the top. You, the, the top six teams. Yeah, yeah, it's the top six teams really. The likes of Chelsea, Manchester City, of course, a very, very good one-all draw at the Etihad. Yeah. Um, Man we played play them in a few weeks, so that's going to be a massive game, you know. Yeah, massive you think- if we can if we can beat them at Anfield, mm-hmm. you know, uh, we've got a chance. We've got a chance. Yeah, definitely. Do you, what do you feel has changed from last season? Do you feel that it's just the the players that Klopp has added, or do you feel that you know it's a difference in style? We've got legs in midfield. Uh, I mean, Henderson and Fabinho were you know they were in the thirties. Uh, 
Yeah. Gone for the quadruple the year before. They're probably exhausted as well. Mm-hmm. You know, and they just run out of steam. And, um, you know, I, I was reluctant to see them go, but they decided they wanted to go. And uh, Jürgen had the, uh, these aces up his sleeve, you know. I mean, yeah. Sabotai's first half of the season is fantastic. He, he's probably, he's got this injury, um, uh, hamstring, but he was just going off the boil a little bit. So hopefully this will reinvigorate him, you know. Uh, McAllister, um, he's been in and out through injury. But yeah, I think, I mean, it's people like Curtis Jones that we're relying upon now. Homegrown player who's done fantastically well, you know. Uh, and Elliot even, uh, yeah, really good, you know. So, yeah, um, you know, I think, um, I think it was we lacked legs last year, and I think Van Dyke wasn't at his best either, you know. Kanate, uh, I mean, Matip is injured now, but Kanate and Van Dyke and a new lad, Kwansai. I don't know if you've seen him, but yeah, he's homegrown academy. He's absolutely, he's a Rolls Royce. He's absolutely brilliant, you know. Um, he's fantastic. So maybe I think they'd be looking to strengthen their, you know, whether it's in the January or the summer window, because Matip, you know, uh, is at the end of his deal. His ACL injury, which is, you know, you never know yeah. if people are going to recover from that. Uh, so yeah, so I was expecting to still strengthen. Uh, maybe not in the January window, though. I don't know. Well, you are still going after a quadruple. So, of course, the Premier League, FA Cup, the Carabao Cup, and, of course, the Europa League. So, you're in four competitions. Yeah. Could you do that? Yeah, well, we could, but I don't think we will. (laughs) You know, I don't think we will. You know, I think, think, as I say, people would be happy if we won a couple of, you know, the Europa League looks like, you know, it's, it's, it's the one Klopp hasn't won, you know. We've beaten by Seville his first season, you know. But um, yeah, I think he'd he'd really cherish that, you know. Um, you know, League Cup or FA Cup, another one of them. And if we get into the Champions League, now obviously it'd be icing on the cake if we challenge City and we're, we're there or thereabouts. But you know, I hate doing predictions, you know. No, fair enough. Um, surely the Prem's got to be the priority, though. I think so. Yeah, I think so, but. You know, yeah, I think it is. I think it is. Uh, we have to wait and see what happens, you know. But as I say, this match against Bournemouth, you know, uh, you, you cause us problems in the past. Yeah. And your form team, you're in the top five, aren't you, of a form team? We are, yes. And, and every- so I wouldn't bet against Solanke. <laughs> it always happens, doesn't it, you know? Well, he is on fire, of course. There is a lot of talk about him leaving. Um, however, I'm pretty sure that Bill Foley is going to keep him at the club. Yeah. But how impressed are you with Iriola? Considering, you know, sorry to mention him again, just bring him up. But we got beat by Everton 3-0 at yeah. Goodison. They yeah. were poor. We were just worse. You yeah, know, yeah. there's no Everton fan that can say they played well that day because they didn't. No. Um, but we were absolutely terrible. But since that day, you yeah. know, things have just picked up. And yeah, yeah. How impressive are you? From, from what I've seen, and I'm, you know, won't, won't say I've seen a lot of Bournemouth, but when I've, they play with a freedom, I think, don't they? Yeah. They play with a freedom, and um, 
you know, in a way, the same way as Brighton were playing over the last few seasons of like, you know, we're the underdogs, well, come on, let's have it. You know, let's see if we can. Yeah. And that, that seems to be what's happening, you know, because people don't expect them to do well. You know, mm -hmm. it's almost like a reverse psychology, isn't it? It's the yeah. same, you know, and I think that's what's happening, you know, and the very fact that, you know, you probably your wage bills right down at the bottom of the Premier League, but you, you know, you're sitting in the middle of the Premier League, aren't you? And yeah. you, and you're in the top five of the four, last five games, is it? I think. Yeah, yeah. Apart from the Spurs defeat, which was the last time out in the Premier yeah. League, which was at the back end of last season, uh, not the back end of last season, back end of last year. Yeah. Um, to be honest, it feels so long ago now, Peter. That you know. Yeah. With age, um, but yeah, apart from that, you know, we've been in, in fantastic form, absolutely yeah. fantastic form. But you did say that we do seem to cause Liverpool problems, and you know, that it can be tr quite true. Apart from that game, I was there at Anfield that game. Um, what did you make of that? The 9 0. You have to laugh about it now. It's just a bizarre. It's just one of those games that happens, you know, once in a lifetime. But no, it's happened a few times at Anfield for me, you know. But I think we beat Crystal Palace once nine 0 as well, didn't we? I think, mm -hmm. you know. And yeah, it was just one of those games where everything went wrong for Bournemouth. I, I wouldn't really read, read too much into it, you know. I think it was, you know, everyone thought Liverpool are back on on, on blob, but it proved that it, it wasn't. It was a, it was a, a false dawn, really, you know. I put a lot of it down to Scott Parker, to be honest, going too defensively. And, you know, we just let Liverpool just pass, 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 pass. Yeah, yeah. You can't was... do that. <laughs> no, no. So I'm sure Iriola will be going with the more pressing style, yeah. a little bit more direct, which has got the, the results, actually, yeah. recently. Um, you know, I think at the start of the season and going back to that Everton game, you know, we was passing way too much. Um, we was keeping control of possession, but we was making stupid mistakes because yeah, yeah. you pass it around at the back. You know, we're not Arsenal. You've got to, you've got to have the players to do that, haven't you? you know? Yeah, exactly. I mean, sometimes it it is a case of you know, you know. I know, I know. It's great to see every team trying it, but sometimes you've just got to you've just got to put the laces through it, haven't you? Yeah, yeah. Sometimes you know, it's, it all depends on the situation, doesn't it? You know. I mean, when when uh, when Allison first came, he was flicking the ball over the over the tackers' heads. Remember? Yeah, you remember that? And like trying to do Cruyff turns in his own <laughs> box. <laughs> I think he's learned from that. You know? Yeah, definitely, definitely. Well, I know you said you don't like to make predictions, but I ask every special guest that comes oh. on this show to make a prediction about this game. Um, mm. Go on, Peter. What uh, do you reckon? I'll go for 2-1 to Liverpool. 2-1 to Liverpool. Yeah, I mean, that's the same as the League, League Cup, wasn't it? I think. Was it? Yes, it was. Yeah, it was. The same as the League Cup. But I don't think... I think you. I think Bournemouth will score. I think you will, you know. I thought we played well in that League Cup game. Yeah. The weather was atrocious, mind. But, you know, yeah. it was really, really bad weather that day. Um, but I did say... You know, at the start of this week, I think we might be able to get a result. I did yeah. say 2-1. Um, and a lot of that is down to injuries and also the African Cup of Nations as yeah. well. 
So I'm going to stick with 2-1. So, yeah, mirror your score, but just the other way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's your prerogative. Yeah, well, hopefully, fingers crossed. But, you know, I, I really do want Liverpool to walk away with the title this season. You know, it would be, again... Well, I think, I, mean, probably, I think most football fans, I mean, you know, I know, I know you can't get you mm. can't get a barometer from Twitter because of I mean lots of Liverpool fans on Twitter annoy me, you know. Yes, yes. But the barometer, City need to be challenged, don't they? And we don't want it to be a total monopoly like it is in Scotland or you know mm. or the Bundesliga. I think if they won it four times, you know, so we should be every neutrals, you know, uh, hope really, you know. Excellent. Well, fingers crossed for you, Peter. And just before I let you go, um, please, please, please do tell everybody where they can find the new single. Yeah, the new single will be available on um, pre-save on Spotify, Amazon Music, you know, all the usual usual streaming services. And hopefully if we get an album out later in the year, there will be physical content as well, you know, physical vinyl and CDs and that type of thing. But all yeah, and go onto my um, Twitter or the farm's Facebook page or the farm's Twitter, and there's a pre-save link there, uh, and it will be out on February the first. And hopefully, you might have heard it on the radio then. But it is a really uplifting tune. I'm really pleased with it, you know. And everyone who's heard it is, you know, is really pleased with it, you know. And I think um, I think Paul Weller said it was a banger. Excellent, excellent. Well, I know it is. What you need to do, guys, go down in the description below and go and buy it now. Go and buy it now. So, Peter, well, it's on um, streaming. Pat. So, if you've got Spotify, yes. you, you pre, you're not actually back. You, you've already bought. That's why. <laughs> there we are. I'm showing my age. There, you know. I'm always saying. Go buy it now. Go buy it. Somebody else said that to me. And yeah, I was right. like, yeah, go buy it. And of course, it's all streaming now, isn't it? So, but yeah, go stream it, guys, on yeah. the 1st of February. But Peter, honestly, Thanks, absolute pleasure to have you on. All the very, very best to yourself, the farm. You. And, you know, do pass on my best wishes to the rest of the band and look forward to speaking to you very soon, mate. Been a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks so much. Thank you. And thank you, everybody, for joining us on this show. Remember to hit the like, the subscribe, the bell button below to be alerted to any new videos we do here on Up the Cherries in all departments. Please do check out all of our other interviews as well that we've done throughout the years. We had Ocean Colour Scenes, Damon Minchella on this show. Also, Professor Brian Cox, Nick Owen, amongst many others, Stefan Rodri. Um, so do check out all of those. The games might have been played, but the interviews still remain. So do go listen to them. But until the next video, up the cherries. We'll see you in the next one. And let's hope for three points on Sunday. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See McDonald's.com. 
And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely, and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.